I am convinced my favorite part of the week is Sunday morning. Someone came to me and said, uh, this morning, I wish Sunday was every day. And I said, I did. I do too, if I could somehow work in the 20 hours of study for every message every day, I would go for it. What an amazing privilege it is to be here, to worship our King, our Lord. I am so thankful, so very thankful uh, to be your pastor. Consider this as one of the greatest privileges in all the world that I get to share with you the glories of Christ every week. So very thankful for all of you. What an opportunity. Today, turn over in your Bibles to John chapter 12 as we introduce our passage in Luke chapter 23. We need to start in John 12. It's a perfect introduction to our passage. Jesus is speaking just before, just days before he was going to die. And he said these words pointing forward to his death and the effects that were going to follow because of his death. Notice in John 12:20 it says, Now there were some Greeks among those who were going to, up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But... If it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. In this passage, Jesus was near the end of his ministry... And in a strange twist of God's sovereign plan, Gentiles came seeking to meet the Messiah of the Jews. The Jews' Messiah was in the world, but the vast majority of the Jewish people were rejecting Jesus. Instead, at the end, Gentiles show up and start wanting to see Jesus. Notice Jesus answered Andrew and Philip as they were trying to seek to introduce these Gentiles to Jesus. And Jesus says to them, This hour has, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus was saying it was time for His glory to be revealed fully in His death on the cross and His resurrection. And then He developed this phrase, or this saying, with that little phrase there starting in verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus was using a very clear word picture to explain his coming death for his followers. He used a grain of wheat. 
In order for a crop of wheat to be produced, a seed of wheat must die and be placed in the earth, and then the crop comes. Jesus says, in effect, My death, the grain of wheat, will lead to much fruit, a great crop of wheat. Jesus was saying, in effect, His death was necessary for a great harvest of souls to happen. And folks, this is exactly what begins to happen in Luke chapter 23. He dies, and immediately, bursting forth is a crop, a harvest. People begin to embrace and follow and honor Jesus. Over the next couple years, yes, you heard it right, over the next couple years, as we continue our study of the Gospel of Luke and then move into the book of Acts, we are going to see the fruit of Jesus' death. Jesus was telling His disciples in John 12, I must die, and when I do, there will be a great harvest of souls. Jesus was saying, people are going to recognize my glory and my life and death, and there's going to be a great awakening. And folks, that's exactly what's going to happen. People begin to see that their lives and this world are ultimately insignificant in light of knowing Jesus. In other words, it's not about me. It's not about this world. It's about Christ. Let's follow Him. And it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad or painful or pleasurable, all of those things will pale in comparison to the glory of knowing and following Jesus. Smooth or rough, that's what we pray, because we know the Lord Jesus and He is good. Today we'll focus on one of the first converts of this great awakening, one of the first rewards of Jesus' death, we saw a couple more last week, but this time we're going to focus in on Joseph of Arimathea. He knew Jesus. But upon knowing Jesus, he did the exact opposite of what the world would have told him to do. Today, we see when we know Jesus, we will follow him at all cost because he is worthy of our allegiance. We will do whatever. It won't even matter if people will look at us and they will shame us. It won't matter if people call us unclean even. We will do anything to follow our Savior because He is worthy of our allegiance. Knowing the love of God in Christ, folks, changes us. We should be different. Over the last two weeks we've seen, and look back in Luke 23... We've examined the glory of our King at the cross, right? We saw the caution from the King on the way to the cross in verses 26 to 31 where He warned those mourning for Him that they should be weeping for themselves because judgment was coming. And then we saw the compassion of the King from the cross. Jesus had shown extraordinary, an extraordinary amount of mercy and compassion even to those who were crucifying Him. He had even prayed for those who were killing Him. He remained steadfast, even as He was mocked 
while he hung on the cross. Then last week we saw the conquest of the king at the cross. In verses 44 to 49, we contemplated the horrors of the final battle where Jesus accepted the wrath of God to atone for sin. We rejoiced in the glorious victory after the battle as he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And we were rejoiced in that. And then we began to look at the reward of his sufferings found in verses 47 to 49. And we'll continue on today. We saw immediately the fruit of Jesus' victory began to burst forth. The centurion was the first one. He began praising God saying, certainly this man was righteous. And then we saw the criminal who just a short time after Jesus died, he also died and joined Jesus in paradise. All because Jesus had said, today you will be with me in paradise. And then finally we saw the crowd even showed up and showed a change of heart. We saw in verse 48, And all the multitudes who came together for the spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breast. Acquaintances the women, and the women who followed him were there watching too. In this passage, we, we saw that the crowd that had come to see a spectacle had turned. Their hearts had changed. And they had literally grieved over Jesus' death. And yet at the same time, all of the acquaintances that were there, his disciples were there watching from a distance. Ladies and gentlemen, when I think on this truth, I think, what kind of impact would it have had to watch their Savior die? What would have gone through their minds? Folks, I think this is why you see such a radically different looking people in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. This is why the beginning of the church looks so radically different. Many of these people witnessed this. Many of these people saw what Jesus did. They saw him die. They saw him rise from the dead. Do you think that would make an impact on them? Absolutely. Folks, they were willing to die for him because they saw the glory of their Savior. Why were they praying? Why were they studying the Word? Why were they listening to the apostles continuously? Why were they willing to be martyred for their faith? Why were they like this all the time, continuously, from house to house? Why? Answer, because they saw him die. They saw his glory. He had rose from the dead. He had provided atonement for their sin. And they knew exactly why he died and rose. It was for them. This radically changes lives. The gospel changes lives. Anybody that tells you that you can accept Jesus Christ and go on living the way that you live is clueless. It's just absolutely clueless. It makes no sense. You see the glory of Christ. You know the glory of Christ. Folks, 
It should change us, shouldn't it? Otherwise, we don't really get it. We don't really know it. Can you stare at the cross for a week or two or three and go, hey, that's a neat story. Let's go on. No. It breaks us. It changes us. It molds us. It makes us do crazy things like laying down our lives for our Messiah. So after we covered this great victory of Jesus the last two weeks, how did you do? <laughs> how have you done the last couple of weeks? What's your, what's your life look like? Has it reflected a person that knows the glory of Christ? Those are hard questions, aren't they? I don't know about you, but after last week, you would have thought Pastor Mike would have had the best week of his life, right? We looked at the glory of the cross, the great battle, the victory. Don't you think? We, would have, we all had a great week, right? No bitterness. No anger. Everybody was so loving and kind to each other, right? And all wives go, wham! And all kids look at their parents. After my view of the cross and its glory, I would have thought that I would have been strong and holy. and All my thoughts would have been just totally engulfed in the glory of Christ. Isn't that the way we should have been this week? Anybody do that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> if you did, you'll crush us all. The glory of the cross and Jesus' victory on my behalf should have compelled me to obey perfectly all week long, right? But I don't know about you. The verses that kept coming to my mind all week were these. For I know nothing good dwells in me, that is, my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want... I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I'm, be honest. I ain't a perfect pastor. My attitudes and my thoughts have not been perfect all week. I've struggled. Had a rough week. That's my wife. After seeing the glory of the cross, after seeing that, I should have been the most faithful pastor all week long in my thoughts and actions, right? Every thought, pure, beautiful. But me, I found myself saying these verses. Beloved, the more I contemplate the glory of Jesus and his victory and his death and life, the more I see how far I fall short of God's perfect righteous standard. It is only by Jesus Christ that I have hope. It is only by him. And he is your only hope also. You have no hope outside of him. And if you think that you had this spectacular week of all obedience, I think you need to look in the mirror a little bit more. As we contemplate Jesus, we all should be convicted of our sin. I'll be honest. 
Could you sing that song that we sang today all week long? Smooth or rough, no matter what it is, I will follow you. Anybody grumble or complain this week? (laughs) But our Savior, He spoke not even a word as they reviled Him. I'm ready to trust him. I need him. How about you? I'm so encouraged every time I look at him because I know he's trustworthy even when I'm not. He's faithful when I'm not. And I'm motivated to serve him with humble dependence because I know he's good. People who watch Jesus we're changed by observing His glory. We should be changed also by contemplating the truth of who He is and what He did for us. The centurion was, the criminal was, the crowd was, and finally we see the council member was. Let's look at this guy. He's very interesting. Today we see in our passage that knowing Jesus can produce astonishing fruit, even in the most unlikely of characters. We will see remarkable, uh, the remarkable effect of knowing God in a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the fruit of Jesus' life and death. Notice, this is the fruit. Supernatural changes in the average lost individuals. That's what happens. The dead live, the lost are found, The born again, who are still in bodies of death, are sanctified. That is a supernatural work, isn't it? (laughs) Only through God's amazing grace are we sanctified. Only through our understanding of Him does that happen. Notice nine startling truths revealed in this genuine disciple of Jesus. Let's look at them. You're saying, wow, nine points. Pastor Mike's going for it. Yes, I am. Dig in. Here we go. First, a follower in the Sanhedrin. He was a follower in the Sanhedrin. Look at verse 2350. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council. That's the first point. A follower in the Sanhedrin. Joseph was a follower despite being a member of the very court that had condemned Jesus. He was a member of the council. Joseph Joseph was on that board, that group of judges that determined many of Israel's judicial rulings. This was the same Sanhedrin that had condemned Jesus in the early hours of that day. However, it does appear that Joseph must not have been there. He must have been left out of this trial intentionally or for some unknown reason missed the unjust trial. I don't know why exactly, many speculate why. But the reason why we can say that he wasn't there was because in Luke 23, 1, it states, Then the whole body of them got up and brought him before Pilate. It was a unanimous decision in the court that Jesus must die. But here it says in verse 23, 51, He had not consented to their plan and action. So the whole court 
must have said this and had this determination, but it appears Joseph had not participated in that action. This would be like the one vote in Congress that voted against everyone else who wanted to do something. Joseph was a member of a powerful group of religious politicians, but he was a follower of Jesus. Now, as we will see, Joseph grew to be more and more committed to Jesus. But to stand up for Jesus in the midst of all this hostility shows Joseph was on his way to killing any fear of man that he had. By the time Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea's fear of man had died. He had turned from being the typical politician of his day. So the obvious question is, how much does your fear of man and your desire of man's approval drive you? In Joseph's case, he had killed that sin. How about us? And what is the solution for us that still fight that battle? How many of you like the approval of men? How many of you don't do things because you're afraid of what somebody may say about you? Ladies and gentlemen, this was a man that killed that sin. How did he kill that sin? How did he mortify that sin? How did he... Stand for Christ despite the circumstances. He had a better understanding of Jesus. That's what mortifies that sin. Do you understand? Get it. Listen closely. Your view of Christ, your understanding of Christ, is what mortifies that sin of a fear of man or the approval of man. He understood him better. He got it. He began to understand the glory of the Savior. The bigger your view and delight in Jesus, the less you will be driven by your fear of man or your desire to be light. Do you get this? Nail it. Write it down. Mark that down. Why am I struggling with the fear of man? Why am I struggling with people's approval? Answer. My view of the gospel of Jesus Christ is way too small. Again, Joseph showed his political affiliation was not his primary identity after coming to really knowing Jesus. We're going to mention this word over and over throughout the time, this word identity, who we are, who we identify ourselves as. Do you understand that our identity is often how we view ourselves in light of our circumstances. If we look at the world and we see that our value is found in what other people think of us, we're not going to stand firm for Christ. If our value is found in whether or not people approve us, we are going to fail miserably at following the Savior. But if our identity is knowing and cherishing and delighting in the Savior were changed forever. Do you understand? If Christ is big, you are small, people are small, and you want to follow him. Joseph was this kind of guy now. Next we see a light in the midst of darkness. 
Joseph was a good and righteous man in the midst of a crowd of self-righteous ones. As verse 23:50 says, And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, a man worthy of praise, a righteous man, a good man is somebody that's worthy of being acknowledged, a man worthy of good morals, worthy of praising, a righteous man. Now, let me ask you a question. I don't know about you guys, but when I read these kind of verses, would somebody say that about you? This is an amazing verse. Isn't this startling? I mean, how many of you know Romans 3? Romans 3 says there's none good, right? Wait a second. It says a good and righteous man. None does righteousness. Wait a second. God's word calls this guy a good and righteous man. That's confusing, isn't it? It's not. It's not. No, Joseph wasn't perfect, but he knew the Lord. He had been regenerated. He had begun to follow the Savior, and now his life was different. His direction was to do what was good and righteous. Now, it means that by God's divine grace, the direction of his life was righteousness and goodness. Folks, this is what believers look like. Again, this is very clear. Anybody that tells you that you can live a life totally debauched and and and, and tons of sin and still be a believer has missed the point. When we become genuine followers of the Christ who died in our place, we are different. We look like Joseph. Now, I admit, the closer we get to our Savior, the more we see how far we have to go, though. The more we see our sin, the more we see... Wow, that's got to go, and that thought has to go, and that, you know, thoughts that I have now, if I had them when I was 18, 19, 20, I would have thought that was actually a good thought. I would have thought, there's nothing wrong with, you know, feeling good about yourself and being prideful a little bit. I mean, you should have a a, a lot of self-confidence, you know, completely. Look good, man. Hey. Show some boldness because people are going to look at you. you just kind of, you know, stick your chest out. That's a good thing. Now I look at Jesus and I say, no, that's a bad thing. Beating my chest and saying I'm all that is bad. It's sin. Now you say, well, Mike, you're going to the extreme. You're telling me that I shouldn't have a high view of myself? Yes, I'm telling you, you shouldn't have a high view of yourself. Have a high view of Jesus. I think we need a lower view of ourselves. Would you not agree? Man, this goes contrary to the world. So, but is the direction of my life different? Absolutely. Is it perfect? No. Would somebody say I'm good, a good and righteous man? Would the word of God call me that? Whew. 
I don't know about you, but that just kind of crushes me a little bit still. Especially in light of how much I know about the goodness and righteousness of God, right? But by the grace of God, this is who we are if we're believers. Not just Joseph, but we are. We should be different. Joseph had a regenerated heart. He lived different than others in his culture and world. Again, we have a hard time understanding how a person would be called this when we are fully aware of our own shortcomings, right? But we must remember that it is not Joseph's autobiography. This is very important. Joseph probably would have never written, I'm a good and righteous man. (laughs) Neither should any of us, right? When you write your autobiography, please don't write, I'm a good and righteous person. If so, your view of yourself is way too big. But this is God's word describing the general pattern of Joseph's life now. And the fact is, is that it was because of God. (laughs) For because of God's grace and God's grace alone, do we do anything good and righteous? Would you not all agree? And by his good grace, we are made righteous and look more like his son. Again, we may not say this about ourselves, but you want a good, fresh understanding of your heart condition. Do this. Ask someone close to you. Would you consider me a good and righteous person? (laughs) All spouses in the room said, I don't know if I'll ask my wife that one. By the way, tell them to be honest. You came to the right place, right? Can you imagine a church that tells you, the pastor tells you, go home, ask your wife, hey, am I a good and righteous person? Be honest with me. (laughs) Nobody said that, right? I challenge you. How about your roommates, single people? Would your roommates look at you and say, man, now that's a good and righteous person. The direction of their life, that they look good and righteous. A shake, you want it? Yeah, it does. Amen. And siblings, all you little kids out there, why don't you go home and ask your brother or sister, hey, do I look like a good and righteous person? Let me give you a, a warning here. Don't try to do it on yourself, by yourself. Second, there's hope. Because the fact of the matter is is that your roommates are probably going to look at you and say, "Uh, you want honesty? No. Where's your hope? Jesus Christ. Right? Follow him. Notice next, a believer amongst the rich and famous. A believer amongst the rich and famous. There's three verses I want you to look at. We'll start in Luke 23. But Joseph was a believer despite his position of prominence among the Jews. As Mark 15, 43 states, And Joseph was a rich man who risked everything to esteem the Lord, as Matthew 27, 57 says. Notice Luke 23, 53 says, And he took it down, took the body down, and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid Jesus in a tomb cut in the rock where no one had ever laid. In Mark 15, 43, Joseph is further described this way, Joseph of Arimathea came, 
a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then in Matthew 27, 57, it says, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, Matthea, named Joseph. Notice, Joseph laid Jesus in a tomb never used. It was Joseph's tomb. Joseph was a man well known in the city. He was, in fact, famous. That's what prominent means. He was also rich, a rich and famous follower of Jesus. There's hope for us, right? Now, we know rich people getting into heaven was an impossible task, as Jesus had previously said, right? He said it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. Praise God. God is a God of impossibilities, making impossible things possible. Yet here we see a rich man give up his burial spot, and there were tons of spices used to embalm Jesus. Again, this is what we know Jesus produced. When we, when we have an understanding of who Jesus is, this is what it produces in us. Even for rich people, it makes your wealth and your God change. In other words, instead of having God, your wealth as your God, God becomes your God. And your Savior becomes Jesus. And your offerings are to the one true God. Beloved, when we know Jesus and what He has done for us, we will be stewards of everything we have in order to give it to our King and honor Him. It has often been said this way. The way to know a man's heart is to look at what he spends his money on. That is truth. What you spend your money on and who you spend your money on determines a lot about whether your heart is committed to your Christ or to yourself. So I ask you, think for a second here. Joseph literally gives up the use of his own burial property to a man who was shamefully murdered on a cross. Not to mention the spices and perfumes of over a hundred pounds were used to prepare the body. And the shame of doing this and touching this body would have probably meant that Joseph would be in trouble. And it could cost him his position in the Sanhedrin and cost him his position that brought in money, obviously. Now, I don't, I, I don't get many opportunities to do this from our pulpit, but beloved... If you come to this church and you soak in the glories of the Word of God and you drink deeply the delights of Jesus, don't you think worship through giving should be natural? I'm not trying to guilt you. I don't want your money. I think you should worship God through giving. If we know Christ, giving should not be something that's a burden. Laying down our lives should be something we should want to do. Now, I know some of the college students are in here saying, I'm broke. I have nothing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you have something. And most of you have a lot more than the third world countries that are around the world. The poor people that are out there. 
Look, again, I don't want your money. I don't. But this is an opportunity for you to worship the Lord. I pray your joy is not only in coming to receive here. Please. I pray you don't just come to this church, this place, to hear this crazy guy get up here and proclaim the gospel. It's just, oh, I just want to hear him. That's it. Oh, and I like the fellowship. The fellowship's really good. I hope it's not for that. I hope you also come to give. What's your wallet look like? What's your pocketbook look like? Who are you helping? I know. You're like, Mike, I've never heard you preach on this. Get off the subject. Because every time you talk, anybody talks about this, this is why I left that last church. Because all they talked about was money. You can't, you see it with Joseph though, don't you? Jesus was more than his wallet. He valued him. And he was willing to risk everything. Joseph knew Jesus and sacrificed his wealth and even the possibility of continuing to have wealth by honoring Jesus. Again, as we've seen, a a fresh, full glimpse of the Savior's glory caused people to sell their possessions. Wait until we get to Acts. Acts chapter 2. Woo, I don't think I've ever seen a church act like they did. I've never seen it. Has anybody ever seen an Acts chapter 2 church? I mean, they sell everything. Oh, there's somebody with a need. Here. All the widows taken care of. Taken care of. Sell everything? Help out? Ooh, can you imagine what that would have been like? Why? Why did they act like this? Because they knew and saw the glory of Jesus. It was worship. And then just a side note. I've said this before, and it's just really good. We don't pass a plate. One of the reasons why we don't pass the plate is because we don't want it to be about you putting it in and see see I'm doing it you can do it with the box too I've said this before if you kind of shake it there you go there you go <laughs> please don't give to be noticed because if you are that isn't worship that's not worship that's why I it's not intentional, I promise. This is impromptu. It's not even in the notes. This is why I like that we've just added this new thing online where you can give online. Nobody will know. Just It's worship, folks. It's worship. Do you understand? It's not about us. If you give wanting me or others to respect you more, then you're missing the point. And this is connected to the next aspect of this point here, wanting to be famous. Joseph was also famous, as we know. He's a prominent man. So when Joseph requested the body of Jesus from Pilate to bury him, he was saying, I don't want to be famous. Instead, I want to be identified with that criminal that died. I want to be identified with that outcast named Jesus. I literally want to be associated and identified with him. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. 
for a politician, y'all know politicians, right? For a politician to not want to be known or to be identified with a criminal was what? The kiss of death. This is like you're losing everything. Prominent? No more. Trust me, you just touched that man that claimed to be the king of the Jews that we killed. We had him killed for that. And you're identifying with him? Jesus knew Jesus, or Joseph knew Jesus was more valuable than a thousand fickle supporters. Get that. And, and see, this is something, this is how you, another way that you kill this concept of approval of men or wanting people to like you. Listen to me, folks. My approval? Please, what in the world would you want my approval for? Why would you want somebody to be your cheerleader? Why do you want one of us to be pleased with you? We should be wanting God to be pleased with us. Not people, right? Joseph got it. It's not about being famous. It's not about people liking me. It's not about being popular. It's about identifying with that dead savior, that outcast. And G Joseph sought to worship and honor the shamed Jesus over even his own popularity that day. Folks, this is true worship. This is what it looks like. How many of you are like this? Are we like this? I don't know about you, but this is convicting to me. At your jobs... How many of you work for the approval of your boss? In your classroom, when you're studying, how many of you work so that the, the, stu, or the, the professor will notice? Oh, oh, this is so convicting. Think about it in the class, you know. How about Sunday school? You're sitting in Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher asks you a question and you go, I know that one. Well, why are you raising your hand? Is it to show that you have all this Bible knowledge? So that people will see you? That misses it, wouldn't it? Oh, folks, it's not about man's approval. I'll tell you, it's hard. Some of y'all are entertainers. Some of you, literally, rappers. we got rappers here. We've got, we've got musicians, very talented musicians. All these gifts that God, have, God has given you, great speakers, you've got amazing gifts. Why do we use them? Worship, not people's approval. If it's about approval, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Stop. Get out of the business. That's a wild thought, isn't it? Can you imagine? Stop if you're doing it for people's approval. If the whole purpose is, is at the end for people to clap and say, you did great, you've missed it. We got plenty of those in the world, right? We don't need that. Got plenty of those in the world. We see it everywhere. Joseph wasn't about that. Why? Because he knew Jesus. It's not about man's approval. Cross-focused living produces worship not self-exaltation. Next we see a disciple 
in a rebellious land. A disciple in a rebellious land. We're almost there. Hang in there. We might not get up through them all, but that's okay, y'all. We're fine. We can always pick up next week. Here we see Joseph was a disciple who lived in a city that had overwhelmingly rejected his master. As Matthew 27, 57 states, and Luke 23, 51. He, has not cons- he had not consented to their plan of action. A man of Arimathea, a city of the Jews. Now, most likely Arimathea was close to Jerusalem. If not, Joseph did live in Jerusalem at that time. And the reason why is because he had a, uh, a tomb there. If he had a tomb there, then he lived there. Because obviously you need to be close to your tomb to be buried, right? Commentators are not sure where Arimathea is, but ultimately it doesn't matter because Joseph lived in Jer- near Jerusalem. So Joseph lived in the central headquarters of this self-righteousness. This was the place the people who were devout lived. But again, their devotion was based on self-exaltation and self-promotion. So Jesus lived in an impossible city and served with impossible co-workers and was famous. Listen closely, beloved. When we know Jesus, we are not identified primarily by where we live or what our culture is or how much money we have or how many friends we have. That's crucial. If you know Jesus... If you are identified with Him, it doesn't matter where you live, what culture you're in, how much money you have, or how many friends you have. Now, I love to cross-cultural ministry. I love it. You can see this church is diverse. It's beautiful. It's glorious. I wish all of you could one at a time come up and just look out. It's wow. But you know what makes it special? Jesus. How about that? Ultimately, it's not the color of our skin or our culture. Do you understand that? I know that's... Wait, you need to... It does matter, doesn't it? Look, what matters is Christ crucified, resurrected, and reigning. Right? The good news is I think, and I know, that's why y'all come. You don't come because we are the culturally relevant church. I don't want to be culturally relevant. I'm sorry. I want to be Christ exalting. How about that one? And it might be that sometimes we sing some boring songs. Sometimes. Most of the time not. They're really good. Some old ones. Consecrate me. Yeah, older songs. But it's not about being culturally relevant. It's about Jesus Christ. That's why we all come together, right? We identify with Christ. And Joseph was this way. He didn't identify with his culture or his community or where he lived. He said, I'm with that guy, that guy that died, the outcast. How about us? Are we there? By the way, I know, as Omar put it the other day, love is in the air. Yes, we have newlyweds in this place, and 
dating couples and engaged couples and new families. But I want to warn all of you, this is not your primary identity either. Listen, our first love is Jesus Christ, not our spouse or our children. And if he is not our first love, we will be selfish in our marriages. And single people, listen to me. Listen closely. Don't let your singleness identify you either. Don't be identified with your singleness either. Jesus is your primary identity. You are his slave. You are his servant. You are his worshiper. So rejoice in Him. If your identity is in who you have as a spouse or don't have as a spouse, you are going to worship yourself. You are going to complain because you don't have that spouse. This is very clear. Jesus is our identity. Not my wife. I love her. She is not my first love. My kids either. Christ. And Him alone. So what is your primary identity, folks? Who's your first love? If it's this world, then you will never look like Joseph. But if you're a worshiper of Jesus, you will follow Him no matter what. Let's stop here. Very thankful for God's Word. We'll continue next week and we'll look at the resurrection. Let's pray. I have a video I want to play for us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your grace and kindness towards us. Lord, we pray that You will help us to be a worshiper of Christ, to identify with Him. Lord, not to find our satisfaction in our culture, our our community, or any of these things, God. Just help us to find our identity in Christ, to be satisfied with Him, to exalt Him no matter what. For we know that it's Christ and Him crucified, resurrected, and reigning is where our hope is found. We commit this day to You. We ask that You be glorified. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand. Please stand. As we sing... As they, uh, we're not.